Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, May the 2nd. It's May Day in the UK. And for us here on the Top Order Podcast, we are back to what we love best of this week in cricket, where we're going to talk IPL. Australia squads to Sri Lanka are announced with pretty much everyone who's eligible to play for Australia in one of those four squads. We'll talk about England cricket turmoil and a whole host more. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we talked a little bit of IPL on last week's pod. Baldy just pointed out off microphone that pretty much everyone we gave big ups to had a poor week and everyone we said was shit had a good week. So, um, look, nothing unusual in that. Um, Where do we want to start? Coley's back in form. We've got some um, MS Dhoni genius. We've got... Um, Devon Conway, um, obviously the difference between um, winning and losing for the CSK as well. But where do we want to start? Uh, we'll get to Stuart's smug face in a minute. That's just the incredible smugness of Devon Conway dominating the IPL once again uh, now that the honeymoon's over. Look, the Top Order podcast reversed butterfly effect uh, continues. Rajasthan Royals got credit last week, lost. Um, Sunrisers Hyderabad got credit last week they've lost two in the bounce and then we bagged csk and mumbai for being terrible and they've both won games um so that it continues the only real continuing trend i guess is that uh, kkr have lost three in a row which of course now that i've mentioned that uh means that they'll bounce back with an in fact they've actually lost five in a row uh, so that that means they'll bounce back with another win so look for kkr to bounce back and and win and uh despite three losses on the row coley making some runs to is, is he back Oh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I think it's, I think it's nice to see him get some runs, but I don't know if it was a very meaningful innings. He sort of, he he kind of played that sort of innings where you're getting yourself back into form and you're getting you're getting a start, and then you've actually when you play those kind of innings, we might talk about it when we talk about uh, that CSK game actually. That when you get that start, you've got to go on and you've got to turn the runner ball. Uh, that you've got going runnable 40 into like a, an 80 off 60 balls or something like that, which, yeah, unfortunately he kind of got out at the wrong time. And, yeah, it's, is he back? I, I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, like I say, I don't think it was an especially impactful innings and they lost the game. Yeah, it was too slow. It was too slow. The other batsmen we talked about last week, Josh Butler and... Um KL Rahul. KL Rahul. They was, they was going hundreds and almost, you know, that many balls or five extra balls. So it was too slow, but it was good to see him actually score some runs. Uh, unfortunately, it came at the uh, de- or for the de- for the detriment of their of to their the, team to, to, the de- to, to the detriment of their team. Um, but yeah, I think that I think it's good to see him scoring runs, but unfortunately, too slow for me. Yeah, look, and that and their slide continues. You know, that's what I think three in a row for them. There, it feels like uh, there's. The, the top four is for the taking. You know, there are spots available. You just mentioned um, Rajasthan falling over there, Sunrisers as well, you know, losing a couple in a row. They've opened the door, but it does – I don't know that anyone's prepared to kind of step through it at the moment. The top two teams, you know, these two new franchises, they've just been unreal. Let, let's just take a step back, I guess, to – let's go back to the auction. We, we talked about this, I think, we you know, we gave a little bit of credit to some of the business that both of those teams did in that – 
in that auction. Uh, was it actually beneficial to be the, the the expansion teams in this, you know, bigger draft, do we think, in terms of you've got to go out and obviously get your whole team. You didn't have the ability to retain anybody because you didn't have anyone to retain. And the teams that did have that decision to make, you know, which of our core players do we keep together? You know, did, did the KKR miss a trick in not keeping their skipper, Owen Morgan? You know, did Mumbai Indians miss a trick in not keeping some of their Cord, you know, that they went with Pollard, obviously, and, um, you know, a couple of others that may or may not now be in there thinking if they'd they had that chance again. Was this a real benefit for those two teams? I guess it was designed to an extent to give them that leg up, but um, who would have predicted this? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's an interesting way to think about it, but uh, the only, and the only thing I can say really is that uh, I think that as those new franchises, they were able to go out and kind of handpick the players that they wanted to, ret- to I know they they weren't retained, but they were the players that they wanted to kind of start their franchise with, and there was no sort of emotional baggage that comes almost from the owners in terms of like we love this player, you're not going to let go of them. And I mean, you know, as much as I love the Kiwis, I I I think that Kane Williamson wouldn't have got that price if you're thinking about the Sunrisers. I, I don't think he would have reached that price if they hadn't retained him in the auction. So. They obviously wanted him. They thought he was really important to the the culture of the franchise. I, I still kind of stand by that. I think that he was a valuable player for them to keep. But in that sense, I do think some of those things kind of play into it. But, you know, I think all these teams had an opportunity to go out and do a good job at that auction, completely revamp their squad. I, I think the Mumbai is probably the one example where they really got hurt by it because they had built such an amazing core before. But every other franchise, I look at them and they could have done what Rajasthan did and, and built a really balanced roster. They could have done what these other two sides have done. And I just don't think they did a, a very good job at it. They kind of all left themselves holes, whether they were thinking we want to you know, really target certain big money players. And, and that's let them down, I think. With, with Gujarat and, and uh, LSG, they also had... They didn't have the weight of expectation on them either. You know, not like those bigger names like the RCBs or the Mumbai's or the CSKs who have struggled. They they had nothing. They had no expectation on them whatsoever in a competition that had been a little bit diluted with more players in the in the in rosters and teams around the league. I think the thing that has really impressed me about the two expansion franchises is the players that have come in as the figureheads of those franchises. So. KL Rahul for the Lucknow Super Giants and Hardik Pandya in particular for Gujarat have taken their teams and they've carried them on their backs. They have been standout performers and everyone else has kind of lifted up behind them. The teams that have struggled this year, their senior players haven't shown the way for those other players to come up behind them. So I'm thinking about Isan Kishan, uh, I'm thinking about Ravi Jadeja, who we're going to get to very soon in terms of the CSK leadership. Those players that are left behind in those franchises haven't stepped up and been real super duper stars for their teams. Whereas these two expansion franchises, they're they're kind of key marquee players have been excellent so far this season. Yeah, I think I think that's what it comes down to. That these these players these teams have got teams that are or players that are playing very consistently. People are scoring runs very consistently and taking wickets consistently. The other teams, it's all kind of scattergun. They you know they get one good performance from someone, and it's just not all happening. So look, all of the teams they have the potential to do that, but yeah, it's hard to see you know a side like Gujarat. I think Raj you just mentioned before, they're the best best start to a t- competition ever. 
They are 8 from 9. It's the first ever time that's been recorded in the IPL. So good start for them. Yeah, look, it's it's hard to see them falling out. And and same with look, and with look now. And, you know, our, our Rajasthan as well. I think those three sides, to me, look very, very strong. And, yeah, it's, I, it's hard to see any other sides getting into that top four apart from that one spot, which maybe sun, Sunrisers can, can hang on to. Baldy, you mentioned... Ravi Jadeja, change of captaincy, change of look for the CSK. Do we want to have a little chat um, about changes at, at the top there with um, MS Dhoni coming in to captain the side and interestingly batted three as well, so bumped himself up the order in their recent win against the Sunrisers? Look, this is a really interesting situation, isn't it? MS Dhoni back in the captaincy of CSK again. Not because he wanted it, I think, but because... Ravindra Jadeja has said that it was affecting his cricket and he has taken the decision to step down. Interesting comments made by MS Dhoni. Raj, as you said earlier off, off air, maybe taken slightly out of context in translation, but as I read it, Dhoni said, I've overseen his work for a couple of games, so I've given him some guidance and effectively Dhoni allegedly has said to Jadeja, you need to make your own decisions and stand on your own feet as a skipper and I think that's taken its toll on Jadeja's overall cricket uh, so MS Dhoni has now taken back the captaincy of CSK and they've recorded a first up win and, and it looks like that might be the impetus to change their fortune for the rest of the season but it could be too little too late come the playoffs. Do you think that's all to do with leadership or this is just a coincidence that they've turned their fortunes around so sharply? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence. We've got Dave, Devin Conway back from honeymoon, and uh, it's all Conway, is it? And uh, well, I don't know. Do you, how many games? You know, he, he did play a game with a uh, where it didn't go so well for him early on in the season. But look, a, I think that potentially, very, you know, we're obviously going to see in the next week or so if it is actually a leadership thing. But you know, you go into a game and you your openers score 180 for none or whatever it was. And that that's going platform. That's going to kind of help you win. And I think, like just said, that all of these teams have the potential to go out and do that. I mean, some of the ball striking from from Guycourt in particular, oh, unbelievable! Some of those sixes down the ground, and and all the teams have the potential to do that. And it was their day today. Maybe you know, maybe that kind of weight off Jadeja and you know, you know, you guys have all been in dressing rooms where, you know, things are, it's a negative, negative sort of cycle. And, um, you know, having that positivity, maybe uh, Donny was able to uplift them. Who knows? That was, it was great betting that, that opening partnership, they didn't panic They I think they were 40 after the first six. And then they just sort of exploded towards the, the middle of that innings. Guy quad, the fastest to a thousand runs in the IPL joint fastest with Sachin Tendulkar at 31 innings. He's a handy player, that fella. Yeah, he was, but, I also think it was really telling how they scored so freely against an attack that has been performing so well. What do you make of the the bowling there from the Sunrisers? Oh, I don't I don't know that you can make too much of it. I mean, they they from what I could see, I, I don't know that they did too much uh, different than they've done before. It's just sometimes these batters come off. You know that we're, we're talking about some of the best T Twenty batters in the world. They come off. Umran Malik, uh, you know, charging it at 150 clicks, and uh, Guy Quads just put him back over his head, ten rows back into the stand. It's uh, it's pretty impressive stuff. I think you, the credit goes to the batters there. Just going back to the the MS Dhoni situation, do you think that uh, is the right option to go back to someone like Mahendra Singh Dhoni, or have we moved on and we're looking for another skipper? What do you reckon, Binksy? Uh, look, I think there's a lot that can be made of this and look it's good uh 
good quick info fodder, isn't it? We, we have a read of it. We have a chat about it. The, the bottom line is, I think, a lot of the captains here, a lot of the plans are set in the team meetings, are set by the analysts. They know about their matchups. And, you know, the skipper's there as a little bit of a figurehead. I, look, I think it's, you know, it's fish and chip paper, really. Um, you know, and that's what it will be in a couple of days' time. The, the one thing I would point out around the bowling, a really strange bowling card. I mean, Boovy Kumar up top went for, I think, five and over or something like that with his uh, with his four overs. And then everyone else got a bit um, a bit of humpty. But the, the thing I'd say, and um, I was kind of watching the footage and it, and it just clicked with me. They did the ground dimensions and all of these grounds are, pretty small when you consider the size of the bats and the quality of some of these batters now you've got some sort of 55 60 meter boundaries so you're occasionally going to have a really big day out which you know um guy quadrant and conway had on on this occasion so yeah i, I wouldn't read too much into it um from a bowling uh, perspective baldy um we're going to move on. You took your phone into the repair shop today because you thought it was broken because you're one of only seven Australians between the ages of 25 and 41 not to have got a call up, I think is the t- statistic. Yeah, very, very disappointed to not receive a call from the Australian Selection Committee today. I've clearly got an issue with my phone and I'll be taking my phone to my mobile provider and demanding a refund on this month's plan. Yeah, Look, deeply disappointed to miss out on selection, actually. I thought I was a chance. There's four teams been selected. I think it's a T20 squad, a 50-over squad, a test squad, and an Australia A squad to tour Sri Lanka in July, and I'm not in any of them. So (laughs) I'm very, very, very disappointed. I thought they've they've taken about six or seven spinners to Sri Lanka, actually, combined Mm -hmm. in all the squads, and I was very disappointed that I'm now at least the seventh picked uh, or the seventh ranked leg spinner in Australian cricket selectors' minds after Zampa, Swepson, uh, Tanvir Sanger. I was excited to see Sanger in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, that's a good. Uh, that's a good selection. I think, I think to got, take him know, and give him some experience. And so. you're, you're big on the youth and the uh, you know next kind of big thing. San- Sanger ticks a few of those boxes, and yeah, I really liked what I've seen from him so far. I think it's just about giving those guys opportunities. And when I, I bang on about looking to the future, but what I'm trying to get at is. You want to give guys opportunities who you think have a future in the game and can grow into test cricket. It famously worked for England really, really well in 2001 after they got humped in the ashes and they went, right, okay, who's going to be our side to win in 05? We're going to start looking at those guys now. And I think that's the way forward for Australia, particularly with these A tours. New Zealand have done it very, very well for a long period of time. Whenever England have been successful, they've had a really strong Lions program. I think it's a wise move for Australia to start looking at the spin contingent, particularly in this group, to see what they are going to be able to do in Sri Lanka because we've got a lot of big tours coming and we're going to need to be good in in the spin department to win in those conditions. So just looking at the Australia A squad, uh, they're going to play a white ball and a red ball tour, same squad for for both formats. Um, Is there anyone you're particularly excited about? In that uh, Australia race squad? Yeah, actually, Henry Hunt, the opener from South uh, South Australia, looks like he could be a likely character. He's been uh, scoring a lot of runs in Sheffield Shield cricket. He's a young fella, looks like he's uh, going to be a, a big um, player for South Australia and have a big future. Raj, have you got someone that you had your eye on in that, in that particular list? I'm glad you asked, actually. I was thinking about... I really am excited about seeing Matthew Renshaw back in back in the game. He's been scoring some runs at county level, I believe. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I, not that there's a spot open at the top of the Australian order, but uh, it's always good to see some pressure being put on. Well, I think there potentially will be in a couple of years. If you think about what he's been doing for Queensland, he's been batting in the middle order for Queensland, somewhere around 4-5 in that Queensland order we've got about 17 opening bats at the moment in that Queensland side 
but he is he is effectively I think being groomed to have a look at what he can do as that kind of utility batter in the Usman Khawaja type mold. Can open the batting if he needs to, can bat anywhere between three and six, and therefore is going to be in the selectors' minds if you need if you can only take one replacement batter on tour, is it going to be someone like Matt Renshaw who can bat anywhere in the order? I think you uh, just going back to the point you made before about A squads, I, I am really, I think it's great that this is starting to happen again. I mean, obviously COVID is still disrupting the world, but, you know, it was a big part of New Zealand. Some of those, A, you know, having tour sides come here and, and playing all our A sides and, you know, having that not there, I, I do think that hurt us a little bit this last summer and, you know, the, the ability to, like you say, to give these players that are your next level down that you do inevitably need in all in all formats of the game, the fact that that's restarting is is encouraging, I guess, for the the depth of uh, international cricket. Body question for you on the A squads: Peter Hanscom, Nick Madison. I think you know have been they're almost stalwarts now, aren't they? In terms of their particularly big bash sides, have they been rewarded for some of that franchise success, or have they been you know doing the business in state cricket? Uh, Nick Maddinson definitely has. He's been doing the business big time in state cricket for a number of years now. And he, again, is another player that has been around for a long time and deserves to come back into the Australian setup. What I like about that Australia A squad is that there are a few experienced players in there that have played test cricket. So you've got Harris, Travis Head, uh, you've got uh, Peter Hanscom, Nick Maddinson, Sean Abbott's been around for a long time, even though he hasn't played a lot for Australia, Jai Richardson and Matt Renshaw. And then you've got your kind of young players coming through that we want to see. We want to have a look at what um, Henry Hunt can do, what Josh Inglis can do, what Tanvir Sanger can do in, in, in those kind of spots around them uh, as well. And then you've got kind of relative unknowns. I don't know a lot about Aaron Hardy. I don't know a lot about Todd Murphy, who's been in picked in, in that squad. So I'm interested to see what those guys are going to be able to do. And I hope that they get at least some game time in that squad and they're not just just there to kind of make up the numbers. So this tour is a while away. It begins in, in June. They're playing all formats, uh, 2020s, one days and test. Just from a high level, Baldy, what are you looking for there? Is it complete domination from the Australians? Uh, well, if you have a look at our approach to the World Cup last year, we were terrible in uh, Bangladesh uh, in the build-up to the T20 World Cup. So I expect us to be terrible in Sri Lanka against Sri Lanka, low spinning wickets. Uh, look, it's not brilliant preparation conditions-wise, but it is good in terms of putting this Australian T20 side together and putting them under pressure. So we're going to see what Finch can do. He's going to have a little bit of pressure on him as skipper because he needs to be able to justify his place in the side. Warner is going to go on that tour. I'm not sure how much he's going to play. Smith's going to go on that tour. Marsh, Stark, Maxwell, they're all named in the squad. So the thing that I do like about it is that we're starting to build the squad together better than we did last year. I'm expecting Australia to dominate Sri Lanka in terms of the series result, if I'm being honest. And I would expect us, like, I'm not sure if we're playing three or five T20s. But regardless, we should win the majority of them. It should be 2-1, 3-2 at a minimum from a T20 point of view. The ODI squad we can experiment with a little bit. I'm not so much concerned about what happens in that arena. We've still got 12 months to go or a little bit more between now and the ODI World Cup in 2023. Look, we that's, you know, enough enough Australia and, and enough kind of pat, patter to kind of get us to the thing that I think everyone is kind of on, on this podcast has been building up to kind of talk about with these appointments happening in, in English cricket and, uh, you know, to, to really sort of unpack them. I, there's a, 
a few different things. You know, obviously, the county season has started now. A few Kiwis over there, which is great. Will Young's been getting a few runs, and, and DeGronholm's over there now as well. But look, Binksy, I think we've got to got to start with you and get your take on this English setup. We've got Rob Key now. We've got Ben Stokes. A couple of appointments. It seems like maybe there's a you know a few more that are, that are coming in the in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, where, where are you? I mean, does it? I guess those two appointments does that lift your uh, spirits in terms of English cricket fan, or, or are you still pretty down in the dumps? Oh, oh look, it's difficult to be. Buoyed particularly by a couple of uh, you know appointments at this stage, we, we you know we've got a long time until that first test match rolls around um, against you boys actually um, at, at Lords. Look, I still think there's a lot to go on. Um, in an ideal world, I think your um, managing director w- you know would have um, been able to appoint a coach who would have been able to have some say in which captain he wants to work with. Um, they've not been able to do that, um, given that the situation they've found them in with, uh, themselves in with Joe Root um, standing down, which I think was the right thing um, for, for him and, and for the team as well. Uh, you know, I think um, it's a long, long time to be a captain of um, an English team or an Australian team or an Indian team. Five or six years in the role takes its toll on you. Um, I think we touched upon this the other week in our Hall of Fame. Just shows Kane Williamson's longevity and resilience in, in the captaincy role for the Black Caps. And there's still some problems in the boardroom. Um, Rumours are pointing to the fact that Tom Harrison is only really sticking around because there's a lack of any executives um, at the moment at the ECB. Um, Ian Watmore, who was the chairman, stood down due to ill health. The guy that stood in for him has now stood down um, due to ill health, um, Barry O'Brien. Um, His stand-in is now standing in. The guy who is on the committee that's um, been put in place to appoint the new chairman has resigned from the committee because he's thrown his hat into the ring for the chairman's role. Um, Wazim Khan would have been brilliant, but he's now general manager of cricket at the ICC. Um, and look, we've still got some question marks around um, coaches. Justin Langer apparently out of the running. Ricky Ponting out of the running. Um, so it looks like we're, you know, we're talking about probably a Gary Kirsten, uh, Graham Ford, um, who I think would be really good appointments. But yeah, a lot of water to go uh, under the bridges until we get um, yeah get to the, the first game of the season. So just picking up on uh, the exec, the, the board issues there, Tom Harrison, he's been in charge for seven years. Would you characterise his time there as a success? I mean, he's won a one-day competition uh, as a white ball side. England have been right up there on, on, on top of the world in both of those formats. They've struggled with Red Bull. There's a few issues around uh, discrimination coming out now. How, how, how have you seen his tenure overall? Look, I'm not going to say it's too early to judge it because it's not because, as you mentioned, he's been in the role for a long time. I think his two biggest successes are from a commercial perspective. He got a lot of cash in with the TV deal um, going back several years. Um, And and I think the reality is that that's, you know, that put England in a place where we were able to weather a a pretty big COVID storm and still have some money uh, in the bank, despite needing to make a number of redundancies and and, and cuts um, at a board level for, for the ECB. And I think the jury's still out, and this is going to be a controversial comment, and I, I really hope George DeBell's not uh, listening, but I think the 100 will also go down in his legacy as a, as a success. I think creating that franchise tournament actually is really, really going to help. And clearly the 2019 World Cup win, they, they put their eggs in that basket, and let's be honest, they made a pretty good omelette out of it. 
And the the problem is now that um, that is to the detriment of the Red Bull game, and they you know they're going to need to do a little bit of an about um, face. Really interesting for me that probably the biggest comment that's come out of Rob Key's appointment outside of the Broad Anderson thing, which I think you know we all knew was going to happen, is he has said that Test cricket will be prioritised pretty much all the way through this season and Owen Morgan can only expect to get his best one-day side after the Red Bull cricket's finished. Um, so, I th- look, I think that's a really, really big statement uh, statement uh, of intent. But, look, I think it'll be a mixed reign for Tom Harrison. Um, there's an- another scandal, um, if you want to call it that, that's broken over the course of the last couple of days, which is that he um, he's actually... Um, interfered in county running of uh, uh, an inquiry into racism um, with regard to Essex. So, you know, there's there's still a lot more to play on what his legacy um, looks like. And um, it's strange that he's only really now becoming super visible when he's been pretty anonymous in the background for the past seven years or so. Mm. I think the interesting thing that we'll look back on in two or three years is whether or not the change that he was able to instigate in bringing in the 100 or his role in in the 100 sort of becoming part of the scene of English cricket, whether that is a catalyst for change in terms of the way that the county scene is managed and and how county cricket as a Red Bull competition sees itself moving forward and whether or not there's an opportunity to use that to reform county cricket and improve it as much as it can be done in order to kind of rejuvenate that Red Bull national side, men's men's national side. I think that will be a measure of, of whether or not he was able to start instigating that change and I guess a, a measure of how his successor is able to build on that and bring that forward. Because for English cricket to be successful, I think a lot of people standing back from English cricket would agree that something, and I think there are juries out on potentially what it needs to be, but something needs to change in the way that county cricket is set up because I'm not sure that it's producing as a pathway, elite test cricketers from a batting point of view. And and we've seen that over the last 10 or so years. So whether or not there means to be structural change, whether or not it's a conditions thing or number of teams, franchises, whatever, there is a question mark as to whether or not there needs to be change in the county game and whether or not the 100 is going to be a catalyst for that. They're all questions that I think are going to come out over the next couple of years. Uh, He has been, uh, Robert Key has been... Uh, quoted as saying that he needs that county game is where the test cricket comes from. Even though te- county cricket doesn't necessarily bring the cash in, that's where the um, you know that's where the revenue stream comes from. Test cricket. Before we get to uh, Ben Stokes, who I think we should talk about as a new skipper, I just want to talk to you about three people and get your thoughts on their selection. So I'll give you three names: James Anderson, Stuart Broad, and and Alex Hales. What does what does the outlook look like for them uh, under this new regime? The first two, I think, are pretty easy. Um, Rob Key and Ben Stokes have both intimated that James Anderson and Stuart Broad will feature um, when the Red Bull season starts. Um, Broad's had a pretty decent start, played his first game for Nottinghamshire this week and I think took four for um, and a useful little cameo down the mm. order where he kind of... Um, 45 off 27, I think, yeah. banged a couple of big sixes into the grandstand. G- gave it a bit of humpty. And and then James Anderson, who, look, I think from an economy perspective, was never going to be in question. Bowled pretty dry in his first outing for Lancashire, but then picked up, um, I think, four wickets in um, his second innings that that, that he uh, that he played in, in in terms of nicking off the opener as well. So, yeah, look, I think normal service resumed there. 
I mean, that's as simple as that. Like these, Rob Key's quoted as saying, one of the first things Ben Stokes said was Jimmy and Brody are coming back. Yeah. I mean, okay, on that, have we got to the bottom of why they weren't there? Because I, I don't understand. Was no. it? Yeah. Was it? I have to wait for one of their books, I think. Well, do we know who, like, who didn't want them there? Because well, there's some theories flying around this table, isn't there? That that we've had. Raj has got a theory. I've got a theory. I don't know whether you two, you two boys, Bordy, will definitely have a theory. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know, Raj. If you want to share your theory first, I'm I'm happy to share mine. I just don't want to hog the microphone. Well, I do want to know about Alex Hales as well because I think I'll that's very Hales, very yeah. exciting. My theory is that it's not really a theory. It just seems like common sense to me, and I feel like James Anderson and Stuart Broad not being there. They've got nothing to prove to anybody from fitness or performance level over the last 12 months. That squarely sits with the captain, not, not, I don't know any captain in world cricket, even at club cricket, who doesn't go out there with the team that he wants that is available. And if, uh, I know Baldy's putting his hand up, um, but like at international level, They've, captains have a great, a big say so in who is on their team, and I, I don't think he would have had to campaign much to get the, you know, eleven, eleven hundred test wickets into the team. Well, and if that's the deal, though, and it, it's like, is this going to be weird? I mean, if they, is it going to be weird when they come back to the dressing room? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're going too deep in the weeds here, but I, I think it's a, I, I guess, and I'm really fascinated by this. England situation in general because I think that there's a number of different elements and and also the elements that Baldy mentioned about kind of stripping everything back you know it sort of feels like now England is I mean it's very much an American sports term but they're sort of in rebuild mode and it's now this you know they've got uh, a new captain they've got different you know they're going to trial it looks like different coaches for red and white ball which is something we don't see that often they've got all this franchise tournament that is still very new I don't know it it feels like a a fascinating experiment uh, in in terms of what's going to happen there well what's your theory um, Big C and please let me know about Alex Hales I really want to know (laughs) yeah so let me I'll cover Alex Hales first because I think that's a relatively easy one Um, he's available for selection in my view um, and in the view I think of Rob Key as well I think he's been pretty clear to say that the slate is is clean he's also mentioned and the reason I say this about Hales is he's made this specific comment around Joe Clark Um, so Joe Clark was an up-and-coming batsman um, touted as you know potential future England player for a long long time as he was growing up um, in his early Worcestershire career and he was involved in the um, Alex Hepburn case um, which you know has been well documented if you want to go and have a read about that Um, but Key you know Key has said everybody deserves a second chance um, and was asked about that with Hales as well I don't necessarily think Hales gets back in because I think over the course of the last three or four years, we, we've seen the emergence of Joss Butler at the top of the order, um, which, let's face it, that's where Alex Hales bats. And then we've also seen an emergence of pretty good young players. I want to give a shout out to um, Harry Brook from Yorkshire, almost top of the run uh, tallies in the first class stuff, highest score 194, averaging just a, a meager 170 for the season so far. He came into the one-day side in the Caribbean and performed really, really well. You've got the likes of Phil Salt, who will you know potentially play that role, as well, of course, as you know Jason Roy, Johnny Bairstow. So it's not a shoe in Sam Billings. Uh, Liam Livingston. Um, just a reminder to Raj, edit that bit out. Um, but yeah, so look, I don't necessarily think that, um, that Hales, um, Hales comes back. Um, your second question or first question was around Broad and Anderson. Um, 
I'll just ask you a question. Who's been in a meeting where someone said, no idea's a stupid idea, guys, just come out with it. Someone has said, like, oh, let's leave Brody and, and, and Jimmy out um, for a laugh. And 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 it's and look, it, it's just happened. I, I don't think it would be, be, be root, to be honest. Um, and the reason I say that is... I've seen a lot of the comments, you know, about Root's contribution to English cricket and, and it included sort of plaudits from um, Anderson and Broad. So unless he's that good a bloke that they kind of go, do you know what? He's made that decision for the right reason. We, you know, we don't have a beef with it. And um, I, I think that that has come from a little bit further up ECB Towers. I don't know where because there's no bugger there, but, um, it, you know, it must have been, you know, it must have been a Strauss or a, um, a Harrison decision, perhaps with the backing of some of the management who went, yeah, yeah, we can do this and do that and take, you know, Ollie Robinson, even though he's not fit to, to lead the attack. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it, it's come from uh, from Joe Root. Conspiracy Corner, we do love a deep dive down there, but let's get sort of back to a couple of these topics. Raj mentioned Stokes before. You know, what I, th- I think really he's the on- he was the only person, in, when I look at that side, who they could have actually picked. But how is he going to be as a leader, do you think? I mean, he certainly frames himself as someone who just gives absolutely everything to the cause whenever he plays. And that's actually my biggest worry as an English you know, you know, as as if I was an English fan, that managing his workload, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge for him because you've seen him be able to just do the donkey work over and over again, and I, I don't think that's the best use for him. But it's it seems very hard to get the ball from his hands, and he's going to have to get it from his own hands at the moment. So yeah, I, I, what do you? I mean, what do you make of how Stokes is going to be as a leader? I'm I'm hoping that he can identify the fact that his value to the England cricket team is as a partnership breaker, as the guy who comes in and, and does a little bit of the Andrew Flintoff kind of mould. I've got to really stamp my authority on the game here and I've got to break this partnership and I'm the guy to do that, as opposed to somebody needs to bowl nine overs of bounces at this batter at the other end and I'm going to put my hand up to do it because I'm the best guy for the job. The fortune that he's going to have if he gets Anderson and Broadback is that he'll have two of England's four or five best fast bowlers ever to be able to come and do some of that job for him. And then the other guys that he can put around that are guys like Mark Wood and Joffre Archer and Ollie Stone pending fitness who are all impact kind of bowlers. So he's going to have, I think, more tools at his disposal going forward if that's the balance of their fast bowling attack. And then Jack Leach or a similar spinner is going to be able to do some of the holding role that he has been asked to do with the ball a little bit. So I'm hoping that from a bowling point of view, he's going to have less workload but more impact. The question is going to be, as the scrutiny becomes more and more uh intense, particularly from the red top papers, is he going to be able to have the mental strength that he's had to rebuild? Because remember, he was he's taken some time out of cricket over the last 12 to 18 months to, to refresh himself mentally. Is the work that he's done during that period going to stand him in good stead to be able to deal with all of that external media scrutiny? And I really, really hope that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Look, I think the external media scrutiny piece, you know, he's had some off the field... Um, issues and that's why I think he's been mentioned in the same breath as Botham and Flintoff. 
the one difference for me is he's a very different cricketer to those two. Um, so I'll probably just slightly disagree with your point around Flintoff and the partnership breaker. When he was captain, he was the guy that actually bowled the, the hard overs. I remember him bowling 51 overs in innings against Sri Lanka in England, and that pretty much rooted his knee for the rest of his career. Yeah, that's what we don't want. Yeah. We don't want him to but, be doing that. But as that's what Flintoff did as, as captain. I think the other thing is Botham and Flintoff, they weren't, you know, they dragged you by the scruff of the neck with with them. Um, on the field, but they weren't the first guy at Nets and the last guy to leave. Stokes, by all accounts, is the hardest trainer, sets the best example. So I think he, you know, he's he's a different kind of leader. Mm. I think the other thing I'd just say, he led the side in pretty strange circumstances this last English summer when there was COVID in the England One Day International camp. They basically had to name a third eleven because the first two 11s were in the first squad and they, they put together a team of, you know, a couple of journeymen in there and he he actually architected a victory against Pakistan in that one day series as a leader and he's also led in tests as well um, during that um, COVID bubble I think against the West Indies where Joe Root um, had a break from a, a parental leave perspective so I, I do think that he's got that ability I think he's off the field uh, misdemeanors in terms of nightclubs and all that kind of stuff. I think they're well behind him. Um, and I think he'll have the right support network behind him. Um, and the added bonus for me as well, and this is no disrespect to New Zealand and South Africa who will go and play in England this summer, um, he won't need those workloads as much as he would overseas. You know, it is going to seem around a bit. There is a Duke's cricket ball. Um, so he probably won't need to do quite as much during this English summer as he would if we were going on a tour to... Um, India, for example, and he's got to play as one of three seamers and probably bowl himself into the ground. And okay, let's move on now to the coaching setup. We don't have coaches yet. You sort of touched on how there might be coaching appointments soon and who they might be, but I'm quite interested in the actual general concept because it's something that we hear a lot about, isn't it? That, you know, there should be different coaches for white ball and red ball, but actually, I, don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, has it, has it happened very recently? I, I don't. I, I can't remember too many sides. Andy Flower and Ashley Giles for, for England. Um, so, yeah, split coaches between Red Bull and White Bull, what, five, six years ago? Okay, yeah, uh, that that's, you know, skipped my memory, obviously. But, you know, it's I think a lot of teams kind of talk about it. I certainly know that New Zealand have... That it's sort of in the air all the time saying, oh, well, it, you know, it's a very challenging situation. We've talked about it many times during the COVID bubble sort of stuff, how players are away for so long. Like, do we think that this could now be, you know, the the way of the future? And it has to be the way of the future in terms of white ball sides and red ball sides having different coaches all around the world, not just in England. And then I'm really interested again to see how it works. You touched on again before how Rob Key has come out and said that the red ball will be prioritised. How does that make you feel if you're Owen Morgan or if you're the coach of that white ball setup? potentially coming into your role and being judged on the performance of that white ball side and you're not getting the players you want. I think it's there's, it's, there's so many different elements to how that all works. Yeah, there are a lot of elements, but I like it. I like having that, that split uh, red and white ball with the caveat that you actually still need somebody overseeing at that top level, not necessarily on the, on the ground floor. Um, I am looking forward to that happening. I think it, I think it's the next step forward in, in the evolution of cricket. The one thing I just want to pick up on something Rob Key said was that they are moving away from maintaining that 
rest and rotation policy a little bit. Mm. Uh, pick the best team at that. Pick the best eleven available to you at that time. I think that that's also something really good to see uh, going forward. I think what we what we might see moving forward is a a head coach who happens to also be the test coach and a white ball coach that reports into them or something along those lines. I mean, Australia have used, we'll send our assistant coach to coach the white ball team when the red ball team and white ball team are playing in the same place or different places at the same time. So that's kind of an extension of that. We'll send our assistant coach to coach the white ball side or we'll bring a white ball coach in as an assistant coach and kind of give him the white ball team as, as, as a little bit of extra responsibility. I think formalising the the relationship between the red ball and white ball coaches is very, very important so that you have situations where you want to prioritise white ball cricket for 12 months in the lead up to a big World Cup, particularly if it's at home, then you're able to do that within your structure. The last thing you want is a red ball coach and a white ball coach at loggerheads with each other because they want access to the same players at the same time and one gets the Guernsey and the other one doesn't and that puts you know the other coach offside or, or what have you. Yeah, look, I think England are probably going to approach it in a slightly different way in that they're going to say Rob Key is managing director of England men's cricket. He sets the priorities and then I think they will have two coaches. I don't think they'll go to a head coach and then that sort of you know reporting line because that's always going to be, well, he's the red ball coach, really not the white ball coach. Um, I, I think the other thing that you'll, you know, you'll potentially um, potentially see in, in, in that vein as well is we're going to see that sort of impact of, you know, white ball specialists. We see it in franchise cricket. I think you'll maybe see those guys swap a little bit more to give that um, kind of different voice. Um, I think the other factor and the, the biggest reason I think England are going to go down this route is they've said, um, and you guys have had it as well, you, you've played a bloody test match whilst you're still in the middle of a one-day series, haven't you, recently? Yep. You, you know, almost just the way that you're playing cricket now, you're starting a series and when have you got time to plan for the next series if you're, you know, you're kind of day three of the test match and you've got to disappear off to take a Zoom call because you've got to select a one-day side that arrives in the country in a couple of weeks' time and, you know, starts the day after the other guys have left. You kind of almost need that planning time as a um, as a coach. So to kind of segment it, I think, makes a hell of a lot of sense. The only thing I'd say, though, is money-wise easy for England to do that and pay two guys or three guys, Australia to do that, India to do that. But not every nation is going to have that ability because you are going to pay a premium to get someone on a, on a, on a you know, half-time basis, aren't you? Um, I think that planning piece is a really good point because uh, the fact that you've got, like you say, there's, there's, going, there's international tournaments that you're targeting now pretty much every year. Certainly in the white ball stuff that we've talked about in that in the past, how there's T20 tournament World Cups, there's one day World Cups, and then we've got the World Test Championship going on and, and stuff. So yeah, it's it's I think it's a, a really crucial point. Um, Lippy, you want to chip in? I think with some um, news from elsewhere in the cricketing world. Yeah, I just I, I guess I've just sort of touched on before how fascinating you know the fascinating situation I see in England. There's actually another tournament just about to start uh, called the Fair Break Invitational that I'm really, really interested to see how it all goes. For anyone who's uh, not heard of the tournament so far, it's a, a women's T20 league that's just uh, about to kick off. Starts on the 4th of May, goes through the 15th, it's 19 games. And it features some of the world's best players, the likes of Susie Bates, who's captaining the uh, the Falcons. We've got Sophie Devine and Katie Martin from New Zealand as well, plus Sophie Eccleston, Laura Wolfart. DeAndre uh, Dotton, there's 
you know, littered with uh, all the stars that we just saw over here at, at the World Cup. But then there's also players that are going to be making up the rest of those sides from 25 different associate nations, including the likes of Rwanda, Bhutan. It's It really is a, a global tournament. And it, I suppose when we're thinking about the global game and, and building the game, tournaments like this, I mean, I would imagine it's going to be an amazing experience for the, the women from those nations to be mixing and mingling and learning from all of these the best players in the world. But I'm fascinated to see how it plays out on the field because, you know, I just think like the the level of skill is going to be so stark in some of those different areas. So I hope it's a massive success. I hope it's a real celebration of cricket and that players can, you know, that basically it just uplifts everyone in, in the uh, in the spirit of cricket. But yeah, you know, I think there's it. If it, there's potential there for it to be something that happens on all sorts of different levels, I know you know in the men's game we we talk about how how can we actually grow the game, and then we've talked about T20 World Cups and having lots of different teams. This this is an opportunity to see does something like this actually work and and really raise the standard of cricket. So as far as I know, it's on it's going to be screened on Sky and in, in, here in New Zealand and and all around the world. They're making sure that it's available for for lots of different people to see. So yeah, I'd suggest you check it out over the next couple of weeks. Well, that just about brings an end to this episode of the Top Order Podcast. You can find us, of course, on all of our social feeds. If you want to dip in and give us some comments, uh, feedback, or request any news views and interviews around the cricketing world please do drop into www.thetoporderpodcast.com but for now it's good night and god bless from us all here in auckland we'll see you soon